Uh, we had a great service at, at 9 o'clock, and uh, I don't want to get your hopes up, but I let, I let those people out 10 minutes early. So here's what I did. I went back to the office and added a little more meat to the message. So didn't, didn't want to give you all that. Uh, anyway. Hey, what do you think about the new stage design? Isn't that great? I like it. I like it. I, I kind of get the idea that it's all about Jesus, don't you? And, uh, and of course, it is all about Jesus. Those words describe who he is and what he's done. And this season is about Jesus. This is Palm Sunday. And this week, we will remember the uh, death of Jesus on Calvary's cross. He died and shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sin and be set free from our captor, which is the devil. And that's what I want to discuss this morning as we talk about the precious blood of Jesus Christ from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. One of the most popular television programs on PBS, the public broadcasting system, is the Antiques Roadshow. Anybody ever watch? And raise your hand real high. I want to see. Okay, all right. Antiques. I mean, it's been on for 20 years, you know. I guess they're doing something right because uh, it's a, it is a long-running show, 20 years. And uh, here is the premise for the show. They send appraisers out to different places, locations, and just normal, everyday people like you and me, just normal citizens, all right, uh, bring to them things that we've either inherited or things that we find in our attic or maybe buy at a garage sale, and we bring those things in for appraisal. And it is absolutely amazing how valuable some of these things are. We, we may just think they're junk, but you know what? They're, they're really valuable things. I'll never forget the episode I watched. A, a woman found a set of wooden puppets, and she brought them in, and they were appraised for $20,000. Wow, wouldn't that be great? Another lady found an old painting in the attic, and, and it proved to be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And, and there's just all kinds of great things that happen on that show. The, the biggest appraisal actually came from a man right over the border here in Oklahoma. Right? He, he brought in some little dishes. They were actually from the 18th century. They were Chinese. They were hand-carved, made out of rhino horns. Little cups, $1.5 million they appraise for. You should have seen that guy's face. Wow, man. Well, I'm here today. As Christians, as believers, we have some truths and realities in our lives that are surprisingly valuable. There are some things that God has given to us that has made us unbelievably valuable. But, but sometimes... We become so caught up in the commodities and the competitiveness of this world that we lose our perspective and forget which things are really valuable and which things aren't worth a plug nickel. Are you with me? We need the divine appraiser. We need the divine appraiser to remind us of the true value of the great possessions that we have been entrusted with. And God does that. He does that in the Word of God. And He flags it for us. He flags these truths and these realities with little code words that clue us off to, okay, we need to pay attention to this because this is something of real value. One of the words God uses in the Bible to show us how valuable things are is the little word precious. 
If you see the word precious in Scripture and it's coupled with something, it means that this really matters to God. This is something that is really big to the Lord. For, for example, in Psalms 139, we're told about God's precious thoughts that he has towards us. And it, really, you think about that. That is amazing that God has precious thoughts about me. Because there are days and weeks that, that go by that no one has a precious thought about me. I know that. But God does. In Psalm 19, we're told that the word of God is more precious than gold itself. That's valuable. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we learn about the exceedingly great and precious promises of God. And every one of them are. And today I'd like to share with you another passage written by the Apostle Peter in which he talks about something else that is very precious, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 is just a great passage. I would, I would love to read the whole chapter to you, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to give it to you as a homework assignment. I never give homework, but today I'm giving homework, all right? Your homework assignment is to go home and read 1 Peter chapter 1 and really study it for yourself, especially verses 3 through 23. So raise your hand if you promise you're going to go home and read this. It's on. All right, good. All right. God saw your hand. He's going to hold you accountable, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1, you go home and read it. What I am going to do is read two verses to you right in the middle of the chapter that are my key verses for today, verses 18 and 19. Read along with me or look at it at least. The Bible says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. I mean, there is not enough silver and gold in this world to redeem your soul. You have inherited sin. You have a sin nature. That's what is running and flowing through your blood. And there is no amount of money, cash, fame, or popularity that can purchase your redemption. Can't happen. Verse 19 is the key, though. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And it describes who Christ was. He was a lamb without blemish or defect. Remember in the Old Testament... They would have to sacrifice animals to kind of cover over their sin, and it was a continual thing, a continual thing. The blood of the animal covered over the sins of the people. God sent a perfect lamb without blemish or spot for a one-time sacrifice to annihilate your sin. It was his son, Jesus Christ. That's how you've been redeemed, through the blood of God's son, Jesus. Now, one of the first things that struck me as I read through 1 Peter chapter 1, like you're going to this afternoon, right? Huh? Was the number of times Peter kept using one little word or a derivative of that word. And it was the word perish or perishable. For example, in, in verse 4, he ta talks about those of us who have been saved. He says in verse 4 that we have been called into an inheritance that can never perish. You just stop and think about that. That's awesome. Because it tells me that, that heaven is a perfect place that will never be tarnished. 
It will never fade away. It will never crumble. Everything in heaven is perfect. It's imperishable. And that is our inheritance. In verse 7, we're told that certain trials come into our life so that our faith, and here's the verse, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Then in verse 18, one of our key verses, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. And then in verse 23, Peter declares, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. It seems to me that Peter had this keen awareness of the brevity of the things of this world. The transience of the things of this world. Nothing on planet earth is permanent. Everything is perishing. Everything is. You buy a new car, you drive it off the lot, and it starts to perish. You build a new house, and immediately it begins to perish. You're, you're a young person, strong and robust, and then you turn 55, and you begin to perish. It's just the way things in this world are. And Peter reminds us that, you know what? That's just the way it is. That's the way this world is. But you know what? We are not of this world. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And he seems to suggest that we shouldn't become so attached to the material things of this world. But yet we are. Even as Christians. I was really thinking about this this past week. 99% of the things that we spend all of our time and attention to and trying to obtain are things of this world, and they're things that won't last. You think about that. This world is passing away. And sooner or later, everything about this world will crumble. Everything. Now contrast the things that are perishing to that one thing God calls precious. Go back to verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What did he say? Look, look at me. He said, you have been redeemed. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The word redeemed means to set free by paying a ransom. And it was frequently used in the days of slavery to describe someone paying a sum of money to set a prisoner or a slave free. Okay, You've got a slave you want to set that slave free, and so what do you do? You pay their ransom. You pay the money to set the slave free. And I suppose that as Peter wrote those words, his mind went back to those never-to-be-forgotten days when he accompanied the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. And he recalled that Jesus had this powerful conviction about the work that he came to earth to do. Jesus came on a mission. Jesus had a specific work to do 
sent down to earth from heaven by his heavenly Father. Jesus saw his death as constituting a ransom. He indicated that his giving of his life was to be the means by which many of us would be freed from the bondage that held us in captivity. In fact, in Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Greek word that Jesus used is the noun form of the word Peter employs when he says here, We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is a word that occurs 140 times in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of our Old Testament. And the idea always has to do with the securing of deliverance from some sort of bondage in exchange for the payment of compensation or the offering of a substitute. And Jesus saw himself as a substitute. Now, I know this sounds a little doctrinal, a little bit of theology, but you know what? The Bible is full of doctrine. The, the Bible is full of theology. And we need to understand the ransom that was paid for our souls because it cost God dearly. And it cost Jesus his life. So what's the deal here? What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus paid our ransom. Jesus became our substitute. In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you. He laid his life down for you. He shed his precious blood on Calvary's cross to take away your sin. Dr. M. R. DeHaan, a Bible scholar, once said, that the Bible contains blood circulating through every page and in every verse. He said, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this holy stream of blood. When Jesus met with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, he passed around a goblet of wine, and using that, he instituted his Lord's Supper. And he said to his disciples, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Romans 5, 9 says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath to come. Boy, that's big. I could spend a whole sermon talking about that. Judgment day is coming. Wrath is coming. Hell is real. And the only way to be delivered from it is through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, That the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all of our sins. And the Apostle John wrote in Revelation chapter 5, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. 
I'm going to draw you back in now, okay? We've been talking doctrine and theology. Let me draw this picture of what I'm trying to get you to see this morning. You and I are slaves to sin and Satan. In our natural state, in our unforgiven state, we are in bondage. The devil holds us captive. We are in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to the devil. But God has set us free by paying our ransom for us. This payment did not consist of the silver and gold coins usually used in obtaining the freedom of an enslaved person. No, the payment for our souls is described in verse 19 as the precious blood of Christ. Because that is the only thing that can set us free. It's his blood. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus. I can't fully understand it, but I can describe it. It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that we were redeemed, but we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so that begs me to ask you the question, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Make no mistake about it. The only way you will get into heaven is through the blood of Jesus. The only way your name is going to be written in that Lamb's book of life is if you have allowed your sins to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And that brings us to the third emphasis in these verses. Those who are purified. Those of us who have accepted God's ransom. Peter says here that we are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And then he says in verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Now, understand, you can't save yourself. You're only saved by the blood of Jesus. But you hold the key there. It is through your faith. You have to believe. You have to trust. You have to invite Jesus into your heart. But when by faith you do that, God does his part and he forgives you. And then you live your life for him and you obey the truth. And how wonderful it is to be saved. How wonderful it is to be forgiven. How wonderful to know that all of my sins have been washed away. And God holds them against me no longer. Wow. Wow. Other evening I was reading a, a true story about a guy named Clint Dennis. This is one of these stories that are almost unbelievable, but it, it's a true story. Clint was a thief. He, he grew up as, as a kid uh, picking people's pockets. One thing led to another. He got, he got into big time stealing. He got caught and convicted, spent 10 years in, in, in prison for it. After being set free from prison, he didn't give up his stealing ways. <laughs> uh, they just got bigger. He started stealing cars and motorcycles and trucks. He was pretty good at it, very successful, but he was empty on the inside. Clint knew something was wrong inside his heart. There was a vacuum, an, an emptiness that nothing else was satisfied. And so his mind went back to when he was a little kid and his grandmother would drag him to church. And, and he thought, you know, maybe the answer is God. Maybe, maybe I can find the answer at church. 
And so this thief, this car thief, decided on a Sunday night, I'm going to go to church. And it just so happened he was driving by the First Assembly of God Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and he just pulled into the parking lot. It was a big church. The parking lot was full. He didn't know which door to go in, but he saw a lot of people going in one particular door, and he thought, well, that must be the entrance. And so he just got in the flow of people and walked into that door. Little did he know he was walking into the choir room. It just happened to be Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday night. And the musical department, the drama department of First Assembly of God in Phoenix, they were putting on a huge presentation that night. Thousands of people were going to be there, but they were going to be portraying the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And here Clint was, standing there in the midst of all these people. They were, they were putting on their robes and tying ropes around their waist and putting on sandals, getting ready for this big presentation when somebody yelled out, Hey, we need more people for the crowd scene. And somebody walked by and gave Clint a costume. Said, You're in the crowd scene. <laughs> he said, Okay. <laughs> and he started putting on the costume. About that time, somebody else screamed out, Hey, the, the, the man that was supposed to be one of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus just called and he's sick. He can't make it. And the guy turned and looked at Clint. Would you be a thief on the cross? Come on now, you getting it? Clint later said he was, just, he was just standing there with his mouth open. He couldn't say anything, but he shook his head. Okay, I'll be a thief on the cross. And so the man said, hey, come, come out on the stage with me, and I'll, I'll show you what's going to happen. They hadn't drawn the, the curtain back yet, and so there, the curtain was closed. They could hear hundreds of people right on the other side of that curtain assembling themselves for this great presentation. And so the guy said, here are the three crosses. Jesus is going to be in the center cross. There's going to be one thief on this side, and you're going to be the thief on this side. All you have to do is hang there and look at Jesus. Clint said, I, I guess by the expression on my face, he knew something was wrong. And so he asked me, hey, hey buddy, could I just ask you, have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? And Clint told the man, no, but I think that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> Amen. And so right there at the foot of the cross, this thief knelt down and invited Jesus into his heart. And Jesus did for that thief the same thing he did for another thief 2,000 years ago. Gave him entrance into heaven. Forgave him of his sins. Can I tell you the good news? Jesus can do that for you today right here. And that brings me to our final emphasis, which is really Peter's first emphasis. Him who is praised. Peter's talked about things that are perishing, that which is precious, those who are purified, but it's all about him who is praised. In fact, this, this entire passage is a virtual doxology to God who redeems us and purifies us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Look, look at how the chapter begins in verse 3. Peter wrote, praise 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a great statement. That's, that's God's gift. He's giving us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So guys, it's real simple. Okay? This message is not complicated. It's pretty simple. Today, today I present to you something that the Bible considers precious. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is precious. His blood was shed on Calvary's cross to take away your sin. And so there's two things I want you to leave with. Number one, there is power in the blood. And number two, there is forgiveness at the cross. You, you couple those together, and you got it, man. Power in the blood, forgiveness at the cross. Many of y'all remember the name Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists that has ever lived. Billy wrote, and I read one time, he said, I can remember preaching in Dallas, Texas. Well, that caught my attention, you know. Anything about Texas is great, right? Billy said, I remember preaching in Dallas, Texas early in our ministry. He said the year was 1953. We had massive crowds every night through that two-week campaign. 40,000 people a night showed up for these services. Thousands of people were being saved. He said, but one night I preached over 40,000 people there, and very few people came to the altar during prayer, and no one was saved. And he said, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand what went wrong. Thousands of people had been saved, but, but that night nothing, absolutely nothing happened. And he said, I was walking off the stage dejected, wondering what, what had happened. What, what had I done wrong? He said, about that time, a German businessman who was a dear friend of mine came up beside me and put his arm around me. And he said, Billy, do you know what was wrong tonight? Billy said, no, but I desperately like to know what was wrong. And here's what the man said. Billy, you didn't preach the cross. So Billy Graham wrote the next night, guess what? I preached the blood of Jesus. I preached on the cross of Christ. And a great host of people responded to receive Christ as their Savior. And then this is what Billy Graham said. When we proclaim the gospel of Christ, when we preach Christ crucified and risen, there is built-in power. And there is. There is power enough to change your life. There is power enough to set you free. So I just got to ask you, have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There is power in the blood, and there is forgiveness at the cross.